You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. The serious side of the J. Rao Show is coming up next right here on the TJRS Radio Network online radio at its best. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. 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 No more, it's none of my business. No more, I'm sure they'll work it out. No more, boys will be boys. No more, I'll say something next time. No more, why didn't she tell anyone? No more, she was flirting with him. No more, she's too smart to let that happen. No more, not my problem. No more, he didn't mean it. No more, why doesn't she just leave? No more, he said he was sorry. No more, she was drunk. No more, she was asking for it. No more, she seems just fine to me. No more, she should have been more careful. No more, we don't talk about that. No more bystanding. No more ignorance. No more excuses. No more. No more. No more. WWE Superstar Big Show here to tell you if you've been drinking, get a ride. Take a cab. Find another safe way to get home. Cops all across the country are cracking down on drunk driving. They will see you before you see them. Drive sober or get pulled over. Online radio at its best. Online radio at its best. Hey, 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 good If you're ready, map of the south. Let's do this. I'm telling you, I am first. Very honored that you would join me tonight. He has a very limited time spot, so we want to bring in Mr. Alan Sarrow right away. Hey, how are you, Kathleen? You know what? I'm going to make you do what I do, baby. Man, what's crack a lagging, baby? What's crack a lagging? It's time for the serious side of the Jay Rowe Show. Don't try to call me out, princess. You can take your love and true purpose and stick it. She's a bitch. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. Network. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. Horror and grief at a wedding celebration in Kabul. The Islamic State in Afghanistan claims responsibility after a suicide bomber struck a packed hall in the capital city. At least 63 people were killed, dozens more were wounded in the deadliest attack there so far this year. NPR's Dia Hadid has more from Islamabad. The bomber struck the wedding celebration early on Sunday morning, near where the band was playing. The blast occurred in a Shiite area that's often targeted by Islamic State fighters. And it comes as the Taliban in the United States are negotiating a deal that would allow foreign forces to withdraw. But even if the Taliban stopped their attacks on civilians, other militant groups are still intent on punishing Afghans. NPR's Dia Hadid reporting from Islamabad. Another weekend, another rally in Hong Kong where tens of thousands of pro-democracy protesters gathered. Among their demands, the formal withdrawal of an extradition bill and democratic elections. Louisa Lim is in Hong Kong where heavy downpours have not dampened the determination of demonstrators. The protest movement's philosophy is called Be Like Water after the Kung Fu star Bruce Lee. And it's a very kind of a flexible, dynamic philosophy where their movement will change its strategy in relation to the situation. So today we've seen these marches all over the island and it is absolutely, ironically, perhaps 
pouring with rain, and it has been for about three or four hours, and yet people are still out. It's really a sign of their commitment to the cause and the fact that this issue is not going anywhere soon. Louisa Lim reporting from Hong Kong. The United Kingdom will face gridlock at ports, shortages of medicine, fuel and food, and a hard border with Ireland if it leaves the EU with no deal. That according to a leaked government document, NPR's Frank Langfitt has more. Britain seems increasingly likely to crash out of the EU on October 31st, and the picture the government paints privately is sobering. According to the document recounted in the Times of London, trucks could face two-and-a-half-day delays at ports with significant disruption lasting up to three months. That could impact the fuel supply in London and the southeast of England. Medical supplies will also be vulnerable to, quote, severe extended delays, as most come across the English Channel. The government expects the return of a hard border with Ireland, which could spark protests and roadblocks. Officially, the UK government has downplayed the impact of walking away from the EU with no withdrawal agreement, labeling it Project Fear. Frank Langford, NPR News, London. In Mexico City, officials and curators are assessing the damage to the historic Angel of Independence monument. Feminists defaced it with graffiti during a violent protest over a string of alleged rapes by police. This is NPR. Coming up next on The Serious Side. You're examining and investigating uh, the various... uh, malfeasances and uh, crimes and so forth of the, of the president. Um, we will reach, we are going into court and asking for more information and for, to enforce our subpoenas. We are telling the court that we are doing this uh, not just as part of normal oversight, but also because it's part of our Article One uh, authority and, and responsibility uh, to consider all remedies, including possibility of articles of impeachment, and that's what we're going to do. Now, whether you call that an inquiry or whatever you want to call that, that's what we've been doing and we are doing and will continue to do. The question is, the, the, the failure of Biden in the last couple of weeks to exploit the opening he has as a moderate, because he's got that lane all to himself, what's going on? What do you see happening here? He's not played the game effectively in the last couple of weeks again. Your thoughts? Well, I think, first of all, there's a lot of time left. Um, Second of all, I think he probably doesn't see anybody encroaching in that lane. Uh, If you're just looking at this from a cold political standpoint. What's that what's happening here in the city of St. Louis as of right now? We've been seeing it too much this summer. We're talking about 11 children killed since June. That's so tragic to hear and it's so tragic to say as well. The latest happening just yesterday happening. Welcome to the serious side of the Jay Ryle Show with Mrs. Vanessa Maybell. Mr. Jerome Esprit, the official texter of the show, Mr. Johnny D, and Mr. Elias. Now here is your host, Jay Ryle. Good Sunday morning to you folks. Today is August 18, 2019, the year two to the serious side of the Jay Ryle Show, which happens every Sunday morning right here on the TGRS Radio Network, online radio is best. Of course, I'm your host, Jay Ryle. Thank you so much for joining us. And I never share this stage by myself, but introduce you to some of the very best in the business. First up, she is one of the co-hosts on the Jay Ryle Show, which happens to be airing this Wednesday uh, at its normal time, 7.30 Central, uh, 6.30 Eastern Time. And then if you're on the Pacific uh, West Coast, it's uh, 5.30 p.m. Uh, anniversary show which is happening can't wait for that but she's also a big sis and also brings total 
political commentary right here on the serious side. Let's say good morning to Miss Vanessa Maybell. Good morning, Vanessa. How are you doing? Good morning, Jay. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for listening today, and thanks for that great opening, Jay. I appreciate that this morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. I can't complain. Uh, you know, life's okay. uh, what they say. Life's a bitch, then you die. So uh, we'll continue to keep it moving. And uh, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> All right, the man who I call the educated rapper, the educated brother himself, my little brother. A serious commentator here on the serious side. Matter of fact, when I promote the show, I make sure I also talk about the knowledge that this man brings to the broadcast. My little brother, the one and only Mr. Johnny D from the house. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. I am doing well and blessed and highly favored. Uh, Jay, you are far too kind with your words, but I will appreciate it, although my humble spirit won't allow me to accept such grandeur. Um, like I say, looking forward to a, a, another opportunity to to be a contributor on, on the serious side, but then also uh, equally important, going into the homes of those who allow us an opportunity to uh, come into their homes and their lives each week. So I, I am truly humbled by that and thankful for this opportunity. So good morning, Miss Vanessa. Good morning, Les. Good morning, Jerome. Good morning. And good morning, big brother. I love you too much. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you, of course, as always. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is, folks, that's an example of what I was referring to right there. Uh, well said, and that led to your own board. The man who really runs everything around here, the boss, we call him, the one and only, the man who's the first and last word here on the serious side, the one and only Mr. L to the E to the S. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, Sean. How are you doing? Good morning, Vanessa. And good morning, John. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Mr. Jerome Esprit, which we call the smartest man in the world, usually joins us after his commitment with Clear Channel Radio. But until then, we hold it down. You know the numbers, 347-850-1272. Chat room's open. You can also check out social media. We'll be out there monitoring the usual sites. And, of course, our director of our social media outreach program, Ms. Jackie, will be here during the second set to tell you how you can stay in contact with the show while the show's not live and also give you some details on the 10th anniversary show which will be happening on Wednesday and Saturday of next week. All right, 347 let's get into the conversation this morning. Three things that we're going to talk about. First up on the agenda, impeachment proceedings underway. Committee Chair Jerry Nadler says that impeachment, the impeachment investigation process is underway in the House. Is this a good idea? This is playing the hands of Donald Trump. Pretty sure we'll have a live conversation about that. Biden slipping in the polls. The latest polls show that Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Warren they are in a statistical time. Are all of Biden's gaps starting to catch up with? We'll have that conversation. Excuse me. And our third set, gun violence on our children. 11 children have been killed since May in St. Louis due to gun violence. And it's time to have a frank conversation about guns in the African-American community. All right, let's get the conversation started. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is our call-in number. All right, Mr. Elias, you're the one that gets the first word around here. Impeachment proceedings are underway, at least the investigation part of it. Do you think this is a smart idea, or do you think this is playing into the hands of Donald Trump? I, I think it's a very smart idea. You know, you, you got to bring, like I said, and, and 70, 
I think it was 72 when Nixon got impeached or not, not, let me, when he left office, it wasn't a very popular idea then. You know, we all know that, we all know that Moscow Mitch is going to block it. We all know that, but still, you still need to bring it out. You still need to bring out all the bad, all the wrong things that this cat is doing because he is doing a lot of stuff that he should have been, he, he, any other president would have been impeached for. Any other. You know, but we, we're in this, you know, and are you going to rile up his base? You're never going to get rid of his base. But if you get enough people to see all the wrongdoings that he's doing and that they pay attention to these things, you know, his base is going to look at Fox News regardless, no matter what. I, I, I deal with two idiots in the chat room all day long who look at Fox News all day long and believe everything Fox News is going to say. But you still need to bring out all the wrongdoings that this, this president is doing. You know, will, it, will he be impeached? No, because, you know, like, like I said, once again, Moscow Mitch is not going to do it. But you still need to, you still need to do your job. Your job is to, to, to you, know, uh, you know, deal with your, your constituents. And your, your constituents are the ones who you need to answer to. So your constituents are calling for it, so let's get it done. Vanessa, do you agree with this? Lord Jesus, I got a fight with Les this morning. Hey, sweetheart. Um, no, I don't. Okay, <laughs> no, I, don't. That? I think that what? they need to. I think they need to have some more evidence um, of. <laughs> see, see, Les, I'm hearing the opposite thing of you. What I'm hearing over here on my side in Texas is that that. Mueller did not give them enough, and, not, and they're not necessarily Republicans either, that, that he did not give them enough information to actually say they believe it or don't believe it. They just, some people need, hmm, Les, um, I do agree that Les said that the constituents are saying file it, because you have to do what those people say, but Les, if he files it, if they file it, I guess this is my question. If they file it, are they going to get to get in front of the American people and say we're filing impeachment because of this, 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 and this, and this, 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 and this backs it up? You, The Republicans and his party is going to have his back no matter what that man does. But you do have some Democrats that are, are those people that's walking the line saying, well, the Democrats are saying it, but where's the proof? And if I open up my mouth and say what Mueller said, they're like, that's not what Mueller said. That's not what that paperwork says. We haven't gotten anything or seen anything to show or prove what the Democrats are saying. I'm just telling you what the people on my side over here, when I'm out and about and I'm talking, that's, that's what their thoughts are. So I don't know. I think we need his income tax statement, y'all, to prove that he's tied in with Russia, that New York City is trying to get from him. They're trying to get it. California's already put it in place, saying he can't even go vote. They can't, he can't even run for election in California until he gets it. I just think, y'all, that we need those tax returns to show that he is tied in with Russia or something else. I just don't think this is enough. I think they're gonna call it another witch hunt, fake news. But the truth well, no, is the I, truth, I, I and that's you can't run from the truth. Uh, uh, well, go ahead, Salim. 
you know, y'all trying to get me. Okay, most of y'all coming at me. Go ahead. No, I mean, you can't run from the truth, and that's the truth is the truth. It, okay, put it like this. If, if Barack Obama had been in the same predicament as this guy, you think that Republicans had, had, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have tried to impeach him? Do you think oh, they'd have hesitated? I mean, hesitated? Barack, no, I mean, why Barack did, Obama why did the Democrats came wearing a blue suit and got attacked, so that's not the same thing. I understand. So why do Democrats run scared? Why are we running scared? Look, this guy has this guy has he he's done a lot of impeachable offenses. Get him out. He has. Go for it. He has. So why are we why why are we scared to impeach him? Why? Because it's not because you're wrong. Because they know that filing it is not going to get him impeached. They got to have something else. I want him. Let me pray, Johnny. Let me get Johnny in here. I just think let me get Johnny in here. Johnny, give me your thoughts on this thing. I'm in line with Les. Uh, I think um, the consistency in which uh, most have talked about. Miss Vanessa has been pretty consistent with her. Les has been pretty consistent with his. And Jerome and Jay, you all and I have been consistent with mine. I, I, if you look at those individuals who, who claim that they believe in the Constitution and the rule of law, these elected officials have to do the work of the people and enforce the laws that followed up on and that that they're governed under the Constitution, and it, with the impeachment proceedings, it clearly says that if you have a civil officer who you believe have committed a crime, that you must impose impeachment proceedings. Now, to 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 have a determination um, based off of you know political aspirations and desires. I think it's shameful, but the, the whole dynamic is more about politics. I, I, I sat there and listened to, you know, um, uh, the Democrat, uh, Mr. Jerry Nadler, uh, who heads up the, the, the Judiciary Committee. He's the chair of that. How he stumbled through the, the, the description of investigation. You know, he said he's, they're going to investigate, and you should know something by the end of the year if they're going to move forward with the articles of impeachment. The, the truth of the matter is, is that there is clearly, through the Mueller report, which, again, $32 million, I don't know how much more we need to investigate, um, shows that Russia interfered with the election process, and Donald Trump had several, several cases where he obstructed justice. So that right there is a clear, clear cut indication that this guy has committed a criminal act. So I think that you move forward with impeachment at the risk of what? At the risk of what? You know, and and that's the thing that that, that we will never know. Why is the hesitation there? Um, Jay, you mentioned about uh, President Obama. Yeah, if President Obama had done any of the remoteness, he would not be in office today. And that is for certain. So do your job. Do your job, do your job, and let's not let this investigation, whether or not we're going to impose the article of impeachment, uh, be a, 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 a hindrance on the rule of law and making sure that, that we uphold the Constitution. You mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, Jerome's name uh, during your comments, and speaking of Jerome, smartest man in the world has joined us. This is Jerome Spreez in the house. Good morning, Jerome. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good morning, good morning, Hey, good morning, everyone. All right, so good let's morning. get comments on this, man. 
What do you think about this? Do you think that the House should go ahead and continue with this investigation of uh, impeachment, or do you think that uh, this is giving ammunition to uh, the president? Um, now, this is actually a little funny to me, because okay. every time we talk about like the old stuff that he should have been impeached about, he creates new stuff that he should be impeached about, right? <laughs> he should be impeached for what he just did with a foreign nation, Against yep. congresswomen, that's impeachable. Yep. <laughs> like, like he keeps doing impeachable offenses, and we go over the old stuff. Like, well, maybe that wasn't enough. It's like, yeah, he's keep, he keeps giving you more. But the problem is, is that you know, we give white folks benefit of the doubt, right? And so we have to rake everything over the coals. It's part of what oppression and white supremacy does generally. So. Black people can say, you know, a black person gets shot, and they'll say, oh, he got a cell phone, so it looked like a gun, right? And they shot him. Then you have this white kid go in and shoot up all these people in a Walmart, and he comes out alive, and nobody asks the question, why isn't he dead? Because we don't think like that. Our humanity does not let us say the negative first, right? But we start going to the black guy, well... He shouldn't have reached in his pocket. He should have kept his hands on the steering wheel. We make all kind of excuses why that dude is dead. Do you understand that? Like, so our issue is is that our perspective changes depending on who we're talking about. And it happens to be, in most cases, if they're black or if they're white. And if they're white, we start getting way off the topic about why we should not do something to somebody. And then if they're black... We talk about why we should. Now, that's something that we need to wrestle with, but it will really change our conversations if we thought about how we saw this thing across the board. Because we need to deal with this first. And that's why even in doing, you know, whether I'm doing shows on Fox syndicated networks or I'm doing this show, honesty is honesty, right? And so we have to take control of what our voices are opposed to looking at the news, letting them program us to what our conversations are going to be about. Because our conversations start to mirror those people who are on TV, and them fools are wrong. We need to start taking control of that and saying, look, how egregious do you have to be? Like, what, what do you not have to do as a white person to get the benefit of the doubt? We watch politicians do this all the time. Hey, it's about the Midwest and the rural farmers. No, if you would have got more people out in inner cities, you wouldn't even have to worry about them. Their number's not even high enough. But you know who we care about? Well, we're talking to the Midwest. We, we keep doing the same doggone thing. So we're perpetuating the same thing that they do because we are brainwashed by being oppressed. And I think Dr. Francis Chris Wilson kept saying that. There is a correlation between oppression and supremacy that allows us to think in a manner that takes your oppressor's perspective than it, more than it takes your own. Now, on this panel, on this show, our perspective goes like this. Generally, I can speak. Matter of fact, I'm going to speak for the black delegation today, for your listeners. So send your comments to um, whoever you want to send them to, because I ain't getting them. But how this works is when we see something, it becomes blaringly obvious to us. We will suppress what is blaringly obvious to entertain the thought that it could be something else. So even in this conversation, that dude should have been impeached. He should be in jail. You have Michael Cohen in jail for something that 
Donald Trump told him to do, and he's not in jail. Right? But, you know, if you're in a car with somebody who commits a crime, they're arresting their driver. Driver, because as a, as a bank robbery goes, you was driving the getaway car. Donald Trump is implicit. Like, he's in the middle of all of that, and you still can't put him in jail. That dude is doing time for something he did for that fool. And then we debate That's, brother. You know, when you look at it from that perspective, it's interesting because the bottom line is is that uh, Michael Cohen is in jail because of things that he did for Donald Trump. And so, you know, Johnny D, went, just to put a ball in this uh, segment here, uh, one of the things I've always argued is if they initiate the impeachment proceedings, we all know that it's going to die in the Senate. And so one of the things that Donald Trump uses to his advantage is he uses the fact that the world is against him. And he uses that as a pawn, and he weighs that in front of his people, and it gets his his, uh, his uh, base out, his core base out. So, you know, I'm not sure if uh, the impeachment proceedings are a good idea, but at the end of the day, I'm starting to fall in line with everyone else saying that Congress needs to do their job. Give us some final thoughts on that just move on. Yeah, but at least you got on my side a little bit, Jay. <laughs> I, I will always say that a person needs to do the right thing. And, of course, right. we, we can speculate and we can indicate that the Senate will will not deliberate and, and will kill it. Uh, and, and that's fine. But we still push it to the point where we do our job and, and, and just make everybody else accountable. You know, Donald Trump has changed the way politics is done. So I'm not too sure if we just can concede that the American public will 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 say, okay, you know what, we're going to reject this because of and, and, and poor Donald Trump. Donald Trump is no victim to anyone, although he pretend that he is. So I say do your job and, and allow the, the process to take place. All right, he says, do your job and allow the process to take place, and uh, let the chips fall where they may. All right, three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. All right, in this week's edition of In Four Minutes or Less, something that you need to know. We've been talking to impeachment for the first segment. Uh, however, there are a lot of people who don't really understand how the impeachment process works. So, in this week's edition, I think I'm going to rename it and call it something that you need to know in six minutes or less, because it's going to take about six minutes to explain how this thing works, but I think it's uh, worth the time, and I think people need to understand how impeachment works. It'd be amazed, Mr. Elias, you'd be amazed how many people think, know the number of uh, presidents who have been impeached. People don't know that number as well, so we're going to educate you here for the next six minutes. Sit back and relax. Six minutes, unless something that you need to know, we'll be back on the other side. You listen to the serious side of the Jay Rouse Show. We'll be right back after this. What should happen if a president, in Benjamin Franklin's words, has rendered himself obnoxious? Most countries didn't have elected leaders or ways to get rid of them, so Franklin and the framers turned to a provision of British common law known as impeachment. Trial, conviction, punishment. In Great Britain, impeachment uh, could be brought against anybody, any citizen. And it also could result in any punishment, including death. 
Michael Gerhardt is a constitutional law professor who literally wrote the book on impeachment. And so they put impeachment into the Constitution and then set up a whole series of unique American features in it. The Constitution lays out three offenses for which any federal official, including the president, can be impeached. The first two, treason and bribery, are pretty straightforward. Treason means helping enemies of the United States, and bribery is taking money or gifts in exchange for a political favor. And the last phrase, high crimes and misdemeanors, is uh, hard to define. Obviously, it's not defined in the Constitution, but these were thought to be serious offenses against the Republic and serious breaches of trust. For three U.S. presidents, Andrew Johnson, Richard Nixon, and Bill Clinton, the question of whether to impeach and remove them from office centered around whether their behavior fit into this third category of high crimes and misdemeanors. The impeachment process has to start in the House of Representatives. Any member can introduce an impeachment resolution. A resolution, articles of impeachment of George Bush, President of the United States. Resolved that President George W. Bush be impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors. But plenty, like this one, go nowhere. That's because impeachment charges have to be approved by a majority of the House Judiciary Committee. Next, the full House of Representatives votes on whether to impeach. If a simple majority votes yes, the president is officially impeached. But that doesn't necessarily mean they lose the presidency that decision happens in a Senate trial. The senators are basically the jury. They hear evidence from both sides, and if 67 of those senators vote to convict, the president is removed from office. This has never actually happened. A House majority voted to impeach Andrew Johnson for firing his Secretary of War. This was after months of conflict after Reconstruction following the Civil War. The only other president impeached by the House was Bill Clinton in 1998. But in both of those cases, not enough senators voted to actually remove the president from office. Johnson was only one vote short, but in Clinton's case, it wasn't even close. The respondent, William Jefferson Clinton, president of the United States, is not guilty as charged in the second article of impeachment. That's because votes in Clinton's impeachment in the House and trial in the Senate were split almost completely by party. And part of the disagreement within the the Senate Uh, had to do with the context in which Clinton's actions had taken place. The whole thing started when Clinton was sued for sexual harassment by a woman named Paula Jones, who had worked for him when he was governor of Arkansas. In a deposition for that case, Jones's lawyers asked Clinton if he'd had a sexual relationship with a different woman, a White House intern named Monica Lewinsky. Clinton said he hadn't. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Ms. Lewinsky. But that wasn't true. I had intimate uh, contact with her that was inappropriate. House will be in order. Republicans in the House argued that Clinton should be impeached for lying under oath. This is a public act, not a private act. What the defenders want to do is lower the standards by which we hold this president. You, sir, may resign your post. Democrats disagreed that the offense was serious enough to be called a high crime. At one point, they walked out of the House chamber in protest. There is one small segment on the far right who have lost all objectivity and are determined to impeach the president at all costs. House Resolution 611 resolved that William Jefferson Clinton, President of the United States, 
is impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors. But throughout this process, Clinton's popularity never really suffered. Not a sense the American people are demanding that he be tossed out of office. Not a single Democratic senator voted to remove Clinton from office. Typically, you'd need to have members of more than one party. That's one of the major differences between Clinton's case and President Richard Nixon's. Over the course of several months in 1973, members of Congress and the American people learned about Nixon's possible involvement in a break-in at the offices of the Democratic National Committee. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The five men carried cameras and apparently had planted electronic bugs. The espionage operation on the president's behalf was called the Offensive Security Program. The charge that the president knowingly participated in the Watergate cover-up. That evidence only came out because Republicans, members of Nixon's own party, called for investigations into the president's behavior. I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. What did the president know? And when did he know it? In the House Judiciary Committee, Republicans joined with Democrats to approve articles of impeachment against Nixon. The public began to kind of render a judgment against Nixon, which was his popularity plummeted. But Nixon resigned before the full House could vote on impeachment. I must put the interests of America first. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Republican leaders had told him there's no way he'd survive the vote, which helps explain why no president has ever been removed from office by impeachment. For that to happen, the president doesn't just have to commit some high crime or misdemeanor. He has to lose the support of his own party, in which case history suggests he'll see himself out. which happens every Sunday morning right here on the TJRS Radio Network. Online radio at its best. Joe Biden. Uh, this past week, the latest polls show that Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren, they are in a statistical tie. So now the question becomes, what's going on here with the former vice president? His numbers are starting to dip a little bit. Warren is starting to gain a little traction. And we're trying to figure out what's going on here. It's just says something that's, is this a poll that's an outlier, or is this something, or is this a trend that's going on? So let's start the conversation right there. Let me start this conversation off with you, Johnny. What do you think is going on uh, with uh, Joe Biden and his poll numbers? Elizabeth Warren is starting to close the gap. Like I said, latest polls show that they are in a statistical tie. Is this a situation where Joe Biden is going to let uh, this golden opportunity slip through his fingers? I think when you look at the politics, it, it's kind of ebb and flow. So I don't necessarily okay. think that okay. it's taking it. Yeah, can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, we can okay. hear you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, to me, it's just politics. It's, it's about ebbs and flow. Uh, you know, Joe Biden came out uh, and was declared the, the Democratic nominee, I think, from the onset. I think when it's all said and done, whether I, I, I will vote for him or not, I think he will probably still be the, the nominee of the Democratic Party. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has, has done well in her, and 
her articulation of her agenda, whereby others have not necessarily had a specific agenda and talking points. Um, when it's all said and done, we will see how how this plays itself out. But I, I'm not surprised that uh, there is some ebb and flow in the number. Uh, Joe Biden is, is who he is. Uh, like I say, 40-some years of politics. He's going to have to apologize and atone and reconcile for some things uh, that he has been a part of simply by the, the tenure, you know, the era of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and the millennial. Uh, it, it all shows different different emphasis uh, within our history and in our politics. And, you know, if he gets out in front of it and stays true to the course, then I think he will be fine. Uh, it's just one of those things where politics is politics. So I'm not overly alarmed at this point in time. We will just, uh, what I'll pray is that uh, come 2020, uh, January 2020, that that criminal uh, that's currently occupying the White House won't be there. You know, Vanessa, uh, you look at these polling numbers. What do you think? You think the Biden should be concerned about this? Or is it a situation like Johnny D just said? Uh, this is just an ebb and flow, and polls go up and polls go down. What do you think? I agree with Johnny. I, I wouldn't. I would pay attention to it because he should, but I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't freak out because they do go up and they do go down. Like um, I'm on a thing where they send me polls and ask me stuff, or they call, and I haven't done any of them. I mean, not recently. I have not. I just take a break from them. So you know what, folks go up and folks go down. I wouldn't really worry about it, but I do like Warren. I am paying a little bit more attention to her, Elias. Um, so I, I don't know. I just wouldn't be too concerned. Not yet. You know, Jerome, I know that you're not a fan of polls, but if you were a political strategist for the uh, Biden campaign, what would be your words of advice during this tedious uh, time? So, um, I think I think everybody's assessment is wrong, honestly. So as a strategist, I realize that he's in a great position. The polls aren't slipping for Joe Biden. They're, what happens is if you look at his numbers, polling-wise, they haven't really fluctuated much. The problem is Lewis, Elizabeth Warren is taking numbers from everybody else. So his support, Biden's support, has not wavered. Um, Elizabeth Warren has a problem with black people in particular. So to get over that hump, you just can't coast this out and say, hey, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, Warren and Buttigieg and Kamala, they're going to get better with black people unless you have some kind of policy or something that makes black folks take notice of you. Because by the time we hit, you know, September-ish, well, we have a ways to go. But let's just say by the time you hit September, October, that's going to be pretty much etched in stone as far as how people see you. Elizabeth Warren has run before. Bernie Sanders has run before. They've had outliers of black folks who kind of like them, but they're not the people's champions, so their numbers aren't going to change so much. You know, it's just not going to. So when it comes down to it, um, you know, Biden's numbers are not, like, really fluctuating much. But if I was, if I was doing if I was a strategist on this campaign, it would, it would be exactly where I would want him to be. He's exactly where I would want him to be. And the reason is 
is because people kept saying, that, oh, it's going to be a coronation. If he blows them out, you know, how are we going to do this? They would have been mad. If it's close and they're like, oh, he's losing support. You can't win at this game like that. This is a long-term um, game. So he's, he's exactly at the spot where he's not getting a lot of scrutiny, but at the same time, he's not, um, he's not let off the hook. So he's taking blows. He's, he's you know, countering. He's doing what he should do. And by the time he comes out on the other end, he'd just be stronger for it. So nobody's giving him a pass. And at the same time, he's not losing support. So he's at a, he's at a great spot, actually. Cheryl brought up an interesting point, Mr. Stelly. That's the fact that Biden's numbers really have not dipped. The fact that Elizabeth Warren and Stelly are taking support from other uh, contenders, let's say you. Well, I'd have to agree with that. But like I said, it's, you know, man, look, man. This weekend, he could be up next week. Look, look at Camilla Harris. After that performance she had, oh, everybody always high on her. And, oh, she was great. Oh, we love Camilla Harris. Now, boom. You know, it, 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 man, it's, it, it, the American people are fickle. So depends on the news cycle that week to me. I'm, I'm, with, I'm, I'm with Johnny G on this one, man. I got to agree with him. Yeah, but we all know that. Usually, a front runner that's identified this early in the process never, ever, ever ends up being the nominee. So, do you guys think, and anyone can take this question, do you think that this is a, this trend will be broken? That Joe Biden will hold this uh, this strength, his uh, lead in the polls, and, and eventually become the Democratic nominee based on the nostalgia of being the vice president of President Obama? I, can, I, can I believe he will. Go ahead, Jerome. Yeah, no, no, you're good. Go ahead. Uh, well, I actually, I actually believe he will because bottom line is, you know, the, like you said, Jay, the nostalgia of, of him being President Obama's uh, number two man will come back into play because people are, if you can say what you want to, people miss normal uh, normal actions from a president. <laughs> so I believe that 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 will that will come into that that will be a large part of it. It will come into play. You know, I want I want to say in addition to that, I, it it um, I keep hearing people paraphrase like um, this talking point that people are giving Biden the pass because they're nostalgic for Obama, and that's that's really simplistic and, and it's oversimplistic. Biden is actually a pretty good candidate. Now he's not an idea candidate for none of us, but he's actually a good candidate, right? So he's he's strong enough that he handles rallies well. He's strong enough on the debate side. Like, we've seen him do this. Now, his policies, yeah, we know that everybody's going to question each individual candidate's policies. But at the same time, it is really kind of like that horse race thing that we do in media to say if somebody is falling off their game or if they're on their game or if they're on... We do this every week, right? And so somebody like um, Biden, he is going to come out of this. So the problem is, is how much damage do the Democrats want to do to Biden before he comes out of it? Because the the other people who are obvious, um, you know, and I know we go by history to say, well, the person leading this early normally don't win. Well, this time it's probably going to happen. You cannot always look at stuff and say, you know, our past actually reflects our future, because if we did that, Donald Trump would not be where he is. Because he's such a damn outlier, just being such a openly white supremacist, you would think that white folks wouldn't vote for him. Because just generally, if you have conversations, if you're around 
Europeans enough, you'll see that they're really uncomfortable with him being that way. So he won with about 26% of the overall vote. So Donald Trump is naturally not going to be there in the next election cycle because people are actually, like, saw who he is and they can see who he is. And when normal voters turn out, that dude won't even be there. So we're playing a horse race game of what if and since he did this and could he get back on track while he is doing racist, blatantly overtly racist stuff, taking people's babies, sending their parents back someplace, like stuff that people can't even stomach. And we're still talking about him like he's normal. So we act like it's normal times by saying, hey, this is what happened in the past, and he could possibly win because this is how incumbent works. That dude's not a normal, he's not even a normal person, <laughs> let alone being a normal president. So I, I think all of those things are thrown out the window. What about you, Fidesz? What do you think? I, I just... I think that we are so far out, y'all, that it's really hard to say what's going to happen because it's like what Jerome says. Donald Trump now something simply a little shiny object over here to distract from the other something that he did somewhere else. I just think that we're so far out that until we step foot into 2020, we're just not going to know how the numbers are going to go, what's going to go on. But I'm telling you... All of the older people are going to vote for Joe Biden. And when this old black lady told me that she would never vote for a woman as president, me and my husband looked at this lady like she was crazy. So I'm just saying, I think that that Biden's numbers are holding steady. I think that, that what y'all said about Warren taking everybody else's numbers, I think that Kamala Harris, has stuck her foot in her mouth, and I think, um, I just think that people need to sit back and just wait and see, because I think 2020 is going to turn it. Right now, people are not really listening. Kids like my daughter's age, 35 years old, upper middle class or whatever, they're not really paying a whole, whole lot of attention, because I asked her about it, and I asked her friends about it, Jerome, and they said, Miss Vanessa... We're paying attention to it a little bit, but we, we all said we wasn't going to really pay attention until 2020. That's what a whole group of black college-educated children told me two weeks ago. Right. But, but what happens with that, Vanessa, and it's why this is really important, right, is that we, we tend to discount older folks, right? And the truth, is, the, the truth is that she's right. There's a lot of people who are not going to vote for her as a woman. And if you just think about it, like just think about what we just talked about earlier. Trump won because white females said, 53% said that they would vote for Hillary, but 55% of them voted for Trump. So if I'm an older black woman, and I actually know those numbers, I feel like, why would I do Elizabeth Warren is coming to do anything different than anybody else who lies to us going there and do. If you live through that, you know that people can be fickle. And I'm not saying white men are any better. I am just saying in that the polling was correct, right? White men did what they said they were going to do. Black men, black women, all of those guys did what they said they were going to do. White women didn't. So I can see why, and I emphasize, and I understand that. Right? I have done Republicans, Democrats, white women, Hispanic women.
I have run and won campaigns where they weren't even supposed to be in the ball game. So I, I know what those concerns are, and I know how true that they are. Right? There is a way to run as a woman, and you cannot run as no man. It does not work. And I still tested that. So I'm, I, I'm not saying that from an inexperienced person watching the stuff on TV. I'm telling you that what she said was absolutely true, and they have work to do to make sure that that does not become their reality. And what happens with young people, too, is that they're no different than when we were young. We look to our parents. We look for the older folks to say, y'all kids don't pay attention to this, but I've been paying attention to this all year. This is what you're missing. We have such a thing that we think that there's a disconnect from younger black voters to the older ones. The older ones are going to influence the younger ones because the older folks are paying more attention. So I always get calls from people younger than me, millennial kids, and be like, I don't really understand this stuff. What do you think, and where should I go? I get those all the time. And I know in college, when I started voting, I called my uncle. And I was like, I don't know none of these people. He was like, that dude's pretty cool people. That person is. <laughs> no lie. So we won't deal with the reality of how we think. We like to like dissect everybody else into their own group. And it's like, the millennial kids don't like this or they don't like that. They ain't paying attention to this stuff. It ain't their game. Whose game is it? Right, so if you discount that, you would actually not even understand how communities work. That's why people go after the older folks because if you look at polling, the polling is going to pretty much break the same. Older folks are quick to tell you what's on their mind and they ain't going to play with you. Young people be like, I don't know, I ain't make my mind up yet. An older person be like, I don't like you and get away from me. <laughs> they would pick that up. Now, isn't that true? That's how we work, right? That is the truth. And so they were telling us that they were going to ask us next year who they need to start looking at. Exactly. So, you know, and my daughter was like, well, they sleep and look at MSNBC and CNN all day and blah, blah, blah. So you know what? Those kids are going to turn to me and my husband and be like, okay, who do we need to start looking at? They they always do. I think people miss that. And, again, I know I'm not – I hate to say this, run this as a disclaimer, and I know I do this often, but – you know, that's why people pay folks who know this stuff to come on a campaign. Because what happens, that chatter will make you do some things that ain't even remotely close to how people think. If you don't know this stuff on the ground, then technically you can't predict nothing. You need to know what climate you're running in. And if you have nobody on your team that actually understands climate, you better find somebody. But that's not how we work. We don't work through polling and all that. It's hard to poll black people. You've lost your mind if you think that polling them is going is gonna to help you in your case. So, from the distance, I know Judge ain't going to, he's never going to get no black people. Elizabeth Warren, never, right? But I think that Bernie Sanders gets them by default. But he's blowing that because he is blatantly telling folks, if I lose this Democratic Party, I don't give a damn about blowing up the Democrats. He ain't even a Democrat. So, as he keeps saying that on that message, when, as he's losing support... He's going to get more erratic. And then, you know what's going to happen when he gets erratic? Everybody's just going to run away from him. So you're never going to get any new voters. So anyway, I'm sorry to take up all that. But that's the, the truth is, is that we vote from a different place than just looking at polling. But polling is how you raise money. And it drives the conversation on the news and on television. So you need polling to solidify support. That's why Trump lies so much, right? Because 
no matter what he says, that will be the headline. Even if in the fine print it says that he's wrong, he'll keep saying no, no collusion. And then we get on a, we get on a, on, on radio and on media and say, well, Trump said it was no collusion. Mueller said there was. Work that out. You know, we never see That's an excellent point about the no collusion and how Donald Trump continues to put that narrative out there. Uh, real quick, Stacey Abrams decided that she's not going to run for president, but she did say that uh, she'd be open uh, to be on the ticket. So if we all think that Biden is going to be the uh, Democratic nominee, I'm just going to ask you guys to go around the table. Just give me one name. Who do you think is going to be his running mate? I'll start with you, Vanessa. Who do you think is going to be his uh, running mate? Ooh, I have been wondering. I don't know. I just, right. I just don't know yet. I don't. Okay. All right. What about you, Johnny? I, I, I would say Warren until Jerome blew out the water. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say Elizabeth Warren, but Jerome just blew her out. Hey, but I hey. still believe she's got a possibility more than Kamala. Okay. What about you, Johnny? Who do you think? If if we're talking about Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee and who his running mate will be, I don't think yes. that they have yet emerged or appeared on the stage. I don't think that he will uh, select any of, of those individuals at this point. Uh, but as, as the, the politics move forward, I think he will use whatever political capital is at the end of, of this election cycle. If he sees where Castro is pretty strong amongst the Hispanic population, I think he will probably look at him. But at this point in time, I can't say that any of the ones that are currently uh, before us uh, would be his running mate at this point. That's interesting. I want to push you on that, but uh, I'll hold that for another day. Thank you. What about you, Jerome? You know, I'm going to go off the grid for the smart answer to this question. (laughs) I'm going to tell you this. That it's nobody that's there. I think, and I, I am sorry that I can't remember her name, but uh, the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha, whatever her last name is, I would go with her. Right? If if you want to really? do something a little radical, I would go with her as a running mate for vice president. But I, I think that Joe Biden, he cannot Keisha, just to Keisha Bottoms, Keisha Lance Bottoms. Yeah. Yep, yeah. I think he. I think he's better off going with her, and but I don't think that he's going to go with like Castle. He's not going to do a stereotypical. That would piss everybody off just to get somebody who's black and who's out in the in the limelight right now, or get somebody Hispanic because that those are false, um, false like um, uh, premises to go off of that people are going to. You're you're trying to solidify that coalition because that person is whatever. You're going to need somebody who is going to make. Um, Pence looks like the racist that he is And he's going to make Trump look like the racist that he is Those debates are going to be important Right And so I would go with someone Who is going to blatantly highlight The difference In the two And I think she would do it But I actually and I was, But I started off like Vanessa I, have, I had no idea But as I thought about it She would be somebody who would be really good it's going to be somebody off the grid who is in leadership that doesn't have a national profile so that it brings a new cycle of people getting to know her, and they'll just prep her to death. But by the time they do that, she is going to be a star in that piece. 
It won't be uh, Black Hillary, though. I can tell you that. Someone like uh, not obviously, you know, Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin wasn't, you know, she wasn't smart. Oh, you don't want to do that. She was. She wasn't smart to start with. Right. We're not talking about her. We're talking about off the grid, though. Right. She was governor of a state that's smaller than Atlanta. Right. So if you look at Atlanta's mayor and you look at the population and what her responsibilities are, she has municipal. It's like Pete Buttigieg saying, "Hey." He can run for president because he ran a city, he ran a town, he knows how it runs. Keisha will be better at this than anybody else. I've seen her on TV. I've seen her interviewed nationally, and she does national um, press quite often. And she's under the radar, and she's under the radar enough that she doesn't get the scrutiny, but she's there enough that people are familiar with her, and you know she can already handle it. She can handle that fire. So she would be a perfect person to go for that. What about you, Mr. Elias? What do you think? Um, Jay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go really off the I'm gonna stay Elizabeth Warren. I'm gonna stay with Elizabeth Warren. Why no? I I know people talk why? Because he needs a woman and he's he's gotta have a woman. I'm telling you, he's gonna have to have a woman. But I think Elizabeth Warren because people are excited about her. I do. So you don't think the fact that even though the, the vice president has even said this himself, that, you know, we need to have some diversity on the ticket, so you think he's going to go with a white woman versus going with an mm-hmm. African-American for second? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And maybe it helps. Everyone's talking about Elizabeth Warren being on the same stage with Joe Biden. Maybe this helps her if he becomes the Democratic uh, nominee because he wasn't on, she wasn't on stage firing volleys at him. Uh, doing those two debates, so maybe that uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why people are thinking she would be uh, a good vice president. Okay, all right, coming up next. What do you think, Jay? Time to have a serious conversation about gun violence in our children. It's coming up it next. Is- Eleven kids have been killed in St. Louis. The past is bad. We'll be back after this. The serious side continues after a short break. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, both of my daughters were pregnant, and everything I was looking forward to turned into everything I was going to miss. First words, first steps, being there for my grandchildren, for my daughters. Today, those babies are three. I'm with them all the time. I don't know what's next, but I know I'm here today. My name is Alanthea Pena, and I'm Susan G. Coleman.
Welcome back in. 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, 7.30 p.m. Central Time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and on Saturday, August the 24th, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 
4 p.m. Mountain Time, 5 p.m. Central Time, and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We are looking for all of the TJRS hosts, both past and present, other fellow radio hosts, close friends of the network, and of course, our wonderful listeners. So appreciate you. Again, shout out to the founders of the TJRS Radio Network, Jay Rowell and Mr. LES. So, so love and appreciate you both. And I again say thank you so much for allowing me to share in what you do. And love and appreciation to all of you of this network. Thank you so much. We love you, too, Jack, and we thank you for the job that you're doing, too, dear. Wow. Thank you so much. When you listen to that, it makes you very feel very, very humble um, as far as what's been going on here. And obviously, the TJRS Radio Network is all of us. Uh, every Sunday, uh, back in the day, every Wednesday and Saturday, people will sacrifice their times to uh, make you laugh and uh, educate you. So it's been an honor, like Johnny D. said, every, every Sunday morning to allow us in your homes for, to be a part of our uh, family for the past 10 years. Uh, I heard from some people this past week. We're going to have some surprises there on Wednesday. Folks you haven't heard from in a very long time should be checking in. But uh, can't wait to do it. And, uh, you know, we're just going to continue to do what we do right here on the TGRS Radio Network, online radio at its best. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. It's time to get into this uh, very important and very – our last topic of the show. Uh, and um, it's a topic that uh, – it's a tough topic to have a conversation about because anytime you're talking about gun violence and you talk about the fact that young people are caught up in this and killed, uh, it's a very difficult conversation. Let's listen to a piece here and we'll talk on the other side. What's happening here in the city of St. Louis as of right now? We've been seeing it too much this summer. We're talking about 11 children killed since June. That's so tragic to hear and it's so tragic to say as well. The latest happening just yesterday, happening Monday evening in Hyde Park neighborhood. Here's a look at that seven-year-old boy. His name is Xavier Usanga. He was heading into the second grade at Clay Elementary School, but his life was tragically cut short on Monday. Today was the day he's supposed to be getting up and getting ready for school, and that tragically is not happening. Now, we're learning right now that the child was killed in front of his sisters while playing in the backyard in the 3500 block of North 14th Street in the Hyde Park neighborhood. An 18-year-old was also critically injured as well, and it's still unclear right now the condition of that person as of right now. Now, meanwhile, Usanga's death makes the 11th area child killed in the shooting since June. Many from St. Louis Public Schools, which starts today. Hey, this little kid would have been starting school this week. He's not going to be able to do it, and it's not right. I just wish we could get these guns off the streets and stop before we lose any more, any more of our precious children over here. You never know if you put them on a corner to go to school if you're gonna, they're going to come home at night or need. It's scary. A pretty emotional moment for Chief John Hayden there saying this is not right. And what makes it even more not right is that there is no suspect in custody as of right now. So if you know anything, you are encouraged to call Crime Stoppers couple things though. A gun was found on scene, but it's still unclear exactly on the connection of the victims at this time. But still, once again, 
there is no suspect in custody. There is no description of a suspect at this time or description of a vehicle that possibly was on scene. You are encouraged to contact Crime Stoppers if you know anything. That number is 866-371-TIPS. So, 11 children killed since May in the city of St. Louis. Um, I don't know how to start the segment. I think just the fact that 11 children have been killed by gun violence uh, since May should uh, automatically generate conversation. Let me uh, start this one off with you, Jerome. I know sometimes uh, when we have these conversations, you know, you talk about the systemic problem that leads to some of these situations. But when we look at kids playing in their backyard, being killed by stray bullets, or kids getting caught up in crossfire, you know, we can talk about the NRA, we can talk about all these different things, but we have to start looking at what's causing this type of conflict in our neighborhoods and the fact that our children are dying and being caught up in this nonsense. So let's, uh, why don't you go ahead and get it started and we'll all chime in. Well, I, I don't know if, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm like at a loss of words. When, when it comes to stuff like this, that um I know that um there there are a lot of factors that play into um violence but I don't think now is the time for even on the analysis side to deal with it. Everybody has to deal with it from an emotional side and that's where a lot of trauma in the community comes that I think people overlook. So um I have nothing at the moment. I'm just processing. So I can be honest with that. Well, okay, so, you know, Johnny D, um, sometimes when we have these conversations about things like this, folks want to come back and say things like, well, you know, let's talk about, gun, you know, who are bringing the guns to the communities. You know, you hear this a lot. Well, you know, black folks don't own boats. Black folks don't do this. Black folks don't do that. But yet and still, it's our people who are killing each other. And for me, I, I just don't understand how we as intelligent people can continue to act as if this is not going on in our neighborhood. I'm not saying any of us are doing that here. But for me, we need to start having conversations about what's happening. I mean, these people are running around like they have lost their mind. And there has to be a solution. But if you go back and listen to old shows, serious side shows, you go back and listen to old Congress people, uh, you know, officials, it's the same old thing. So is this just a problem that we're, we will never, ever get a handle on because of the amount of guns that are in the United States of America? Jay, this is one of those uh, topics, again, that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'm trying to get out there in those streets every day and pass on to our young folks, whether they're black, white, Hispanic, uh, Asian, uh, Native, whatever their demographics may be, whatever their racial makeup may be, whatever their sexual orientation may be, about the level of violence in which they have been birthed into. You think about the most industrial nation that has the, in, the most violence 
and death by guns uh, by far of, of any industrialized nation, which is the United States. Now, I don't contribute that to one entity by any stretch of the imagination, and I do agree with you, Jay, uh, time and time again when, when, when I'm uh, working with my focus group, uh, the Square of Knowledge group, and, and also with, with my fourth world um, consultant group, uh, you know, you hear people um, make excuses and reasons as to why they do what they do, victimizing one another. I look at regenerification in, in the city in which I live, but yet at the same time, those African-Americans who had those those homes near those downtown areas since the 40s and 50s and 60s have been held hostage by these young drug dealers and gangbangers um, basically extorting and, and victimizing the community on a day-to-day basis. So I'm not one who you can, you know, leave at a pause by saying, okay, well, we don't have the boats and stuff. That's immaterial to me. You talk to them young mothers who come into the church and, and, and we're burying kids, burying kids. The parents are now burying the children that they're so alarming. So it, it pains me when I hear the St. Louis stories, but each one of us stay in cities where the same thing is happening every single night, and we've got to wrap our arms around it. And we can't do it by making excuses for ourselves. In general, African Americans, because we are in close proximity to one another, we have bought into that Willie Lynch syndrome. We have been conditionalized uh, to set back and victimize one another. I look at some of these neighborhoods going up within my community, and, and once where I used to patrol these areas and go down and enforce these areas here because of the level of gun violence, now you see these three, $400,000 homes. And what's, what's, what's funny about it is, you know, you got people out walking the dogs and taking jobs, but because their race and nationality isn't the same as mine, now they don't seem to be as taunted or bothered by the same individuals that's out there shooting the next person that come down that look just like them. So the condition of the mind is prominent. Uh, the, 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 the level of gun violence, I think a couple of weeks ago when I knew we was going to get on some topics in regards to gun violence, they talked about nearly 40,000 40, deaths by gun in 2018, but yet even though it doesn't matter, death is death and death is permanent, two-thirds of those were suicide. So what's causing? What's causing our young people to say that, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to live this life anymore. To where nearly 20,000 of the 40,000, you know, 27, 26,000 of them killed themselves. Now, that's not all young people, but it's just a despair in America. So we've got to be real with this. We've got to get out there and we've got to try to teach one, teach one type of concept. But this is this is a growing epidemic, and it has been for, you know, the data, I think, said that they've been tracking it for some 40, 50 years. And with the exception of 1968, last year was the most violent year on record in America. Everyone out there is harmed. You know, we talk about gun laws. The reality of it is, is that Laws are for honest people. So it would be the same thing with guns. I see I see young kids, 12, 13 years old, who 
who carry guns every day. When I was working with young kids as, as, as a mentor, I remember how they used to sit back and say, you know, I used to ask myself, how much money do you need a day in order to live or a week? And they would sit there and well, I need at least five or $600. Man, I tell you, when I was 13, 14 years old, I thought I was, I was the one. I had 50 or $60 in my pocket because I was working at the McDonald's. So we have elevated their sense of entitlement, and there, 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 there's no regard for human life anymore. We have got to deposit any time we get a chance some degree of theology and some belief and some a, a being higher than themselves, whatever it might be. But we have got to get out there and stop doing more than talking and making excuses. So, no, I'm not that one that you can tell me, okay, you know, we ain't got no helicopters and no boats and all the rest of the foolishness that typically, you know, African Americans will say. Because, again, I'm out there in the streets talking to them. And I always dismiss that, that reality, but you're victimizing yourself. And it's painful to me to step back and see this time and time again. There's someone that gets shot in my city every single day. The difference between my kids having to run and someone else is only about two and a half to three miles. That's what it is. And then they got to go to school and deal with the foolishness. Who would have ever thought that they would have had law enforcement in the school systems the way that they have law enforcement in the school system now? Certainly not I. So we've got to find better ways to deal with conflict amongst one another. But it really does. It starts with the adults. Who's, who's running the household? We can make excuses. We can say, okay, it has something to do with the video games and the video industry. And I'm not going to argue at that point because that is a contributing factor. But we can't sit there and rely on that type of data. we got to get out there and put the work in. And that's the truth. So my heart goes out for those families in St. Louis. My heart goes out for those families in Texas and New York and, 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 and the Illinois and the Chicago's and, and every place where young people are now being the target of one another. And that's my commentary. That's, that's well said, Johnny. You can tell by the uh, passion in your voice, man. It's, uh, uh, well, it's a powerful, powerful statement. You know, Vanessa, you know, Johnny mentioned, you know, gentrification and beautification of neighborhoods throughout the country. You know, that's happening here in Houston. Uh, but yet still we're plagued by gang, uh, you know, gun violence as well. But what do you think what's going on here? I mean, when we look at the number of, of young people who are being killed uh, by uh, senseless gun violence, I mean, what do you think we can do as a nation to try to curb this? Because this has been going on for years. And it's like we have this conversation every year on the show. Okay, well, Les, I was just in the chat room, and um, somebody in the chat room, Bobo Wright or whatever his name is, said that it is a cultural thing, that this gun violence is a cultural thing. And I was trying to figure out how to type back to him and tell him that, yes, you are right, it is a cultural thing. We have black-on-black crime. But they have white on white, white on green, white yes, on they do. Because Yes, they do. Black people might kill each other, but you don't see any black people going into Walmart, churches, schools, and weddings, uh, blowing people up and shooting up people. So you're right. It is a cultural thing. But the black people are killing each other. 
you guys are killing everybody. So I don't think that, and I'm not, I, I just completely said that. So for me, Jay, I don't know how we can stop it unless we go back to the olden time and the olden days that some of the young people are listening aren't going to know what I'm talking about. Like whooping some butt when they leave, when they in the house, uh, crowds back in school. Because if these young millennials are growing up with none of that, none of that, what the children are talking back to the mamas. Some of this stuff, Jay, goes back to old whoop they butt before they can talk rules. It just does. Because then they would grow up with some morals and stuff, and these kids now don't have that. They just don't. And black people are not bringing guns over here by the shipload. We don't have a ship. How do you think these AK-47s or whatever these guns are, how do they think they're getting over here? Other nationalities are bringing them over here. It's not a black thing, Bobo Bright or whatever your name is, because we're not bringing them here. We're not Wait, bringing the guns here. We're not bringing them over here. I want to I want to help you out with this one too, Vanessa, because you know a friend of mine who's an attorney and uh, I'm not going to say what city he's in, but he posted something recently saying that some people are beyond stupid because somebody posted um, something that. Uh, in the last 35 years, black people have killed 234 black people in the last 35 years. However, white people have killed over 879,000 white people during that same period. So that whole thing is crazy to me that people think that we are not getting that from some place. These are conflict issues that we're dealing with in our community. White folks randomly shoot people they don't know. Right, and there's a whole different level to displacement and what mental defect that might be. So it is not an issue of race because I guess that person felt like they it was their chance to inject race by thinking that black people are violent, but that's why we always get the rap that we do because we highlight something. Black-on-black crime is just stupid to even mention it as an issue. Right, people have conflict. People are oppressed. There are people who are starving. Like, there's a lot of issues why people have conflict. People need to have conflict resolution and know how to deal with conflict. But at the same time, you can't regulate something that's illegal or unethical or immoral. You just can't regulate that stuff. But to compare that to a black-white issue, just remember, white folks have, like, the most arrests. They're the least convicted in a bunch of areas. Whether they're whether it's robbery, whether it's murder, they have the monopoly of all of that because that's where all of the guns are. But at the same time, I don't like the gun debate because I think it leaves us defenseless. So there's always something to be argued about in this case. But don't bring race into that. Like black people are violent. Black people are not violent. Hmm. What about you, Mr. Elias? We haven't we haven't heard from you on this. So what do you think, man? Well, I, I think I think it's an economic thing, Jay. It's the bottom line. Um, we can spend money on farmers. We can spend money on military. But we don't spend money on education where it needs to be at. You know, you have all these these people that are 
uh, against abortions and we can't have an abortion. Oh, no, but you can bring that child in here and starve the hell out of them. But you won't feed that child. Now, I, 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 I'm in the chat room all the time with these two idiots, and they talk about, I'm against poor people. Well, hell, how do you become rich if you have never been given opportunities to make as a child growing up? Don't hand me this cover about pulling yourself up by the bootstrap. Because ain't none of them cats ever pulled yourself up by the bootstrap. Somebody has always helped you pull yourself up. So don't give me this crap. Somebody has always gave you a hand to help you. Because that's how you grow. That's how you grow. That's how you pull yourself up. So my, my, my solution to this is invest more money in education. Why are we investing money in, in, in the, in, in, in to, to, to the military when the military is saying we don't even need no more money? But we'll give, keep giving money to them because, you know what, because that's what the that, that's what he that's where they create the jobs at. But instead, they would rather have the dumbing down of America, which is, what's, which is what's happening right now. We are dumbing down these kids, and we are not giving them an education. They're not opening their minds up, and we're not giving them anything. So for somebody to tell me, you know, I'm against poor people, you are the biggest racist out there because you have never been down that road. I, I, you know, I, I wish you could see what it takes when you to have somebody in the ghetto who can't even walk the streets without somebody shooting at you or killing you or, or, or throwing something at you or telling you that the gangs that, that are there are gonna, they're going to take you in and, 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 and feed you because you're hungry because your parents cannot feed you. So don't have me nothing about poor people. There's always going to be poor people in the world. So when you sit there and make these assessments of people about how they are and how what they are, give them a good education. Guess what happens when you get a good education? You, you know better, you'll do better. So we're not we're not educating our youth, and that goes for black, white, anybody. Because when Trump made the statement about Baltimore, about how poor, how, how this West Virginia system works, never will say that. You know why? Because West Virginia backs him. So don't tell me nothing about people that are not racist. These are racist statements. This 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 is this is what goes on, and it's all it's all cat calls, and it's all stuff that that he will say behind the behind behind the monitor. But put money in education. Educate people. You know, that's that's the key to it all. Because if you without a good education, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Without a good education, then you wouldn't be where you're at. All right, we're, 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 we're getting short on time. I, I, I definitely want to uh, make a comment on it, but uh, I'll save my comments for my final thoughts. Jack, I know you wanted to make a comment here real quick. Go ahead and make your comment. we we gotta got to get going. Um, yeah, um, bottom line, Jerome uh, already alluded to it in the last segment and he brought it again in this segment, and I reiterate, uh, it's an oppression thing. I mean, we, I mean, it's still that slave mentality that still goes on today. The good old, the, the white man's ice is colder. And I wanted to, uh, talking about the bootstraps, I pulled up uh, Martin Luther uh, King's quote to read to our friends in the chat room. It's from Martin Luther King. Now, quote, now I believe we ought to do all we can and seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But it is a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. 
We never had no bootstraps. So what bootstraps? All right. All right, time for a break. We'll uh, step out, NPR News update, uh, Chatterbox, and I know we're going to have an abbreviated edition of uh, On the Need to Know Basis with Mr. Jerome Spring. Maybe we can try to fit in a few more comments about this topic because I know people are so passionate about it. So we'll step out real quick. We'll be right back and listen to the serious side. A string of Disney blockbusters has set a new record. As NPR's Netta Ulibi reports, five movies from the Walt Disney Studios this year have each made more than a billion dollars worldwide. It was a movie about a bunch of talking toys that sent Disney into the stratosphere. To infinity and beyond! When Toy Story 4 from Disney's Pixar became part of the Billionaire Movie Club, it joined Aladdin, The Lion King, Avengers Endgame, and Captain Marvel. All Disney movies from 2019. That's the first time one studio has made five movies, each making a billion dollars in the same year. Now that Disney owns 21st Century Fox, it controls nearly half of the domestic box office. So far, the only other movie to make more than a billion dollars this year is Spider-Man Far From Home, made by Sony with Marvel Studios, which is owned by Disney. Neto Ulibi, NPR News. A Spanish rescue boat, the Open Arms, currently in the southern Mediterranean with 107 migrants aboard, has been given the go-ahead to sail to Spain and disembark its passengers there. This after Italian Interior Minister Matteo Salvini today told the Open Arms ship to leave Italian waters. Italy refused to let the ship dock despite offers from six EU nations to take in the migrants. The Open Arms has not said if it will go to Spain. 17 days after it rescued people off the coast of Libya, the crew says conditions are miserable. Italy's Salvini says the crew is anchored off the southern island of Lampedusa just to provoke Italy. I'm Luis Giovanni, NPR News, Washington. All right, folks, welcome back in. It's time for Chatterbox, final thoughts from the chat room and social media. Uh, Ms. Billy Esmond, what do you have for us this morning? Uh, nothing worth reading, but I'm in here arguing with these clowns because these both of us say we should cut off all welfare, and I said that means the farmers too. And this is what he says. Farmers don't get welfare. They get paid. They get, they get paid to uh, stabilize the market, and I'm against it because I'm in favor of free market. It's welfare. I don't give a damn what you say. It's welfare. Hey, welfare is money. inside the farm bill, so it is welfare yes. money. It's welfare. Thank you. Yeah. And also, if Oprah Wright does his uh, numbers, you'll know that there are more poor white people on welfare than there are African Americans or brown people. So, uh, have to do your numbers yeah. and do your research, and you'll figure it all out. All right, uh, I have a few here, uh, quite a few actually. Let me see, can I fit them in real quick? I don't think I'm going to be able to read them all, but let's see what I can get in here. Uh, Timothy from Tally House, Florida. Thank you for your explanation uh, of impeachment. I didn't know that three presidents were impeached. By definition, Mitch McConnell should be impeached for accepting monies from Russia uh, for uh, allocating money to a state. That's a good point. Uh, Stephen F. Jones, he says, very informative show this morning. The impeachment segment was great. I'm so impressed with the words. I was so impressed with the words, but more importantly, John's passion when it came to the gun violence section segment. Though it's no excuse, we cannot forget the impact that suppression plays in this mix. I'm going to disagree with Jerome on his black-on-black crime comment because black-on-black crime does exist. However, we cannot discount the conditions that have led to this discourse. 
Uh, LTCB, uh, Landstuhl, Germany. Greetings from Germany. I'm a commissioned officer in the United States Army. For obvious reasons, I cannot give you my full name due to military regulations. I serve my country with pride, but however, I am extremely disappointed in our commander-in-chief. I am proud that I served under President Obama, but the current occupant of the White House has members in uniform concerned. If I had a dollar for every soldier who re- has requested a meeting with me or members of my chain of command about concerns by president, I can retire. He likes to say the military has his back. I am living proof that every for every soldier that supports him, there are two who do not. Thank you for reading my statement, and I am glad that I found this podcast. I'll be here next week. Thank you. Thank you, LTCB. Be safe out there. Wesley, Decatur, Georgia. Good morning, Mr. Rao. Each week you talk about a chat room. How do I get to it? I listen on the Player FM app. Okay, uh, Wesley, you have to go to Block Talk Radio to participate, or you can continue to leave your comments here. Shereen from Alala, Georgia. I'm, I so, so agree with your panelists. On Mayor Bottoms, she is sharp as a tack, but unfortunately, I don't think she will be willing to subject her family to the type of scrutiny and pressure that comes with a presidential campaign. A lot of stuff going on this morning. All right, let me get into it because I know we don't have a lot of time. Five, four, three, two, one. The first lady dazzles on election night in a. Tell me, what do you want me to do? All right, folks, it's time for my favorite part of the show, an abbreviated edition of On a Need to Know Basically with Mr. Jerome Spree, where he's going to tell me when it's his last story. Jerome, floor is yours. All right, so CBS and Viacom struck a deal to merge and create this media bohemian, a $30 billion company, media. So this is 13 years after the company separated. Um, Sherry Redstone, the daughter of that media mogul in whatever, um, Sumner Redstone, is supposed to be chairwoman and Viacom's chief executive officer, um, Bob um, Backish, is going to be president and CEO of the combined company. So get this. Viacom, as you know, owns everything under the sun, right? So they own Paramount. They own, good Lord, um, you know, BT, MTV, VH1, all of these, all of those stations, you know, along with like Nickelodeon and those guys. And CBS owns, you know, True TV and all of these other um, secondary entities. They're about to create another company that they run through all of the media net- networks. Now, hmm. you want to talk about why we need to have regulations, that would be why. You ain't kidding. Yeah, and and the wow. sad thing is, it's why we don't know anything. Because all the media entities, whether it's CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, they report on the same headline, like there's nothing else going on in the world. And so it becomes propaganda for the rest of us. So when you have media entities all taking, you know, the the um, top parent company's perspective on life, that's what happened. And I don't know if you remember the story. Wow. Remember the guy who, what was her name, Julie Chen? She was married to the guy, Les Movez, who yes. was the president of CBS. Remember, he's the one who stopped Janet Jackson from recording all these years. Because mm-hmm. CBS owned the record company that she was up under, 
and they owned a bunch of radio stations. So even though she's putting out music, she got no play because of the Super Bowl issue, and he felt like right. he didn't apologize to her enough, or to him enough. So when she had a book deal for Simon and Schuster, they owned them, and he said. Who's responsible for giving her that deal? Because they reported to him. One company did that to that child. I don't mean to call her a child, but wow. you know what I mean. <laughs> they did right. that to her. All right. Now, Facebook paid contractors to listen to and transcribe users' private audio exchanges to check what they said their AI accuracy, right? Their artificial intelligence accuracy. That's according to a new report. So from Bloomberg. Now they cite the company and report that the users who were affected chose the option in Messenger app to have their voice chats transcribed. Um, if you use wow. Messenger, you better uncheck that stuff. <laughs> you can't touch that up, yeah, right? I, I refuse to use Messenger. I refuse to use it, man. That's yeah, why I, I knew some about it. Mm. Now I know this has been a big story on social media. But Jay-Z partners with the NFL on social justice campaign and live music strategy after previously he slammed them for their treatment of Colin Kaepernick and rejecting an offer to headline the Super Bowl halftime show. So um, Jay-Z has agreed to partner with the NFL on social on a social justice campaign. Also, much-needed foothold in the music industry. Now, social media has been criticizing Jay-Z you know, saying since Kopnik's not in the league, why is Jay-Z doing this? But generally, I think that this is a good move because if Jay-Z slams the NFL on their own social media platform, everybody will talk about how brave he is for doing it. So we just have to watch. I, I like to think that he's smart, so um, I have no problems with that. I don't know. Did you guys hear anything about that? I know it's been yeah, big. Yeah, they've been, uh, yeah. They've been, uh, man, I've, I've seen all kind of stuff on social media about how he's, he's sold out and all kind of stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, this seemed to be a little over the top on it, but I really don't have too much of an opinion. I kind of have to watch it to see. Now, most people don't know who this guy is unless you watch, um, you know, those documentaries on Death Row, you know, the record label that Dre is on and Suge Knight had. But mm-hmm. Mike... Harry yeah, Orton. I know you're talking about. Yeah, he's set to be released from prison in uh, mid-August after 31 years in bi- behind bars. Now, he co-founded the label Death Row Records with Suge Knight and signed music legends like, you know, Dr. Dre, Snoop, and Tupac. So Harris helped run that multi-million dollar rap music empire from his cell after finding the parent... He founded the parent company of Death Row Records with about $1.5 million investment. Suge Knight actually went to him because of one of his attorneys said that if you need the money, go to Harry. And he gave them $1.5 million while he was in jail. And he created a parent company and run that record company outside of um, outside. He ran from jail. He ran that record company. And I think that's interesting just for the um, for the bigger picture to know how stuff started the 1.5 million dollar investment came from somebody who obviously turned his life around and said he wanted to do something else but um he ended up suing death row by the way um 
later, he and his wife Lydia filed a multi-million-dollar um, lawsuit and were was awarded 1.7 million dollars of judgment against Suge Knight and that label because he tried to start wow. another company outside of it to own Death Row. <laughs> yeah. I don't wow. know why Suge Knight would have done that because that sounds pretty stupid. Because I think um, um, I want to say Daz. If you don't know the lingo, this Daz is yeah. one of the producers on Death Row, and he wow. said one time they needed equipment, and the phone rang in the offices, which is dedicated to Harry. Nobody else could touch those um, those phone lines, and he called and he said, "We need some equipment, and the equipment is going to cost about." You know, five grand. He said Harry sent over a messenger came over with cash with about twenty grand, and he said that's too much money. He was like, "Well, take it and use it for what you need it for." That's how much uh, resources that that guy had behind bars. But anyway, yeah, they he say he was the worst man. Yeah, good luck to him. He they said that he's going to San Antonio. I think it's San Antonio to um, help with the um, with a foundation. To help people who are um, convicted, um, and what do you call it? like the Innocence Project? He's doing a project like that, so he's going to start off in um, I think it's someplace in Texas. I think it's San Antonio. All right. Now Mike Tyson revealed that he smoked worth um, smokes forty thousand dollars worth of pot a month at his ranch. In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he said he sells around. Yeah, he said he sells around $500,000 worth of cannabis each month from his 420-acre um, ranch. Man, Man, Mike Tyson's on something else. Yeah, say that? <laughs> now, um, now, Jeffrey Epstein's death was posted, uh, um, was posted anonymously on a message board called 4chan, um, at it, it was at least 40 minutes before he was officially announced that he passed. So Jeffrey Epstein's death, you know, they were saying on this internet message board, 40 minutes before it was officially announced. So the um, NYPD investigated whether the first reporter or for a first responder leaked that information. And, um, you know, we, we don't know, but they have to do investigations in New York State on it as well. Oh, and by the way, if you don't know who Jeffrey Epstein is, I know we talked about that. Um, he is the guy who had the underage girl, alleged underage um, girl, whatever it was called. What do you call it, Elias? Somebody lost the word, Jeffrey Epstein. Um, it was trafficking, a, sexual trafficking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, Jeff. He also said, "This is Jeffrey Epstein's word." He said, "Children." He raped and assaulted, did not look underage. He equated his crimes to Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots. He equated it to Robert Kraft's spa scandal, and he claimed that he was a victim in his final interview. <laughs> wow. A bunch of crap. Crap. <laughs> he equated Robert Kraft, and he knows Robert Kraft. See, here's the thing. Those guys all know each other, and he said... Yeah, they they didn't look underage, so him raping and assaulting somebody underage doesn't shouldn't count because they didn't look underage. Jeez, that guy was killed in prison. I just wanted to say that for a record. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what findings they come up with. I think that's what happened. 
Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So Iowa Congressman Steve King insists that in um, in a barely attended town hall that he's owed an apology after he said the human race would be extinct if it wasn't for rape and incest. Do you remember that he said this earlier in the week? Yeah, he is an idiot, man. That the Republicans got a pro- problem standing behind that fool. He said nobody would be here if it wasn't for rape and incest. So I guess that's he, what he said. I guess he's vouching for it again. I wonder if he knew Jeffrey Epstein. Anyway, that's just a question. All right. Now, um, the, the Texas police officers who led a mentally ill black person through the street. Um, while they were on horseback, they will not be charged with a crime. So a third-party investigation of the August 3rd arrest, um, I'm not going to say his name, it was resulted into no charges against Galveston police officers, um, Patrick um, Broch and Amanda Smith. Um, Texas. That's what the Texas Rangers spokesman said. They will not charge them for parading that person through the street. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've been keeping up with that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of police officers, a South Carolina sheriff deputy, 34, is caught with attempting to solicit sex from a 15-year-old girl in a sting that was set up by his own department. So Derek um, Vanderheim, who was 34, was arrested in this sex um, this child sex sting that was carried about out by his department. (laughs) He was he thought he was communicating. 15-year-old girl. All right. I think that, that is all God. I have. I didn't have any sense. Okay, well, I can't end on that one. All right. New York, a New York tribe, you know, the Cayuga Nation, is launch, launching a lawsuit against Showtime's um, TV drama, um, in a Showtime TV drama, for defamation after it portrayed offensive stereotypes of the Native Americans um, engaging in fraud, bribery, and immoral behavior. So in that lawsuit submitted to the New York State Supreme Court, the nation claims that producer, producers have damaged their reputation by not changing their names in the show. Because if you're going to lie on somebody, you need to make a fictitious um, category. <laughs> right? Wow. And if, and if you don't know, the Cayugas are near, near me, right? So the Cayugas, Onondagas, Tuscaroras, Senecas and the Six Nations are sovereign land. So if you ever want to leave the United States, just come to New York State because there's sovereign land in New York State. Mm. That's why they're wow. Okay. Yep. All right, that's what I got. All right, Jerome, man, appreciate you as always. Be safe out right. here as you do what you do, brother. All right, folks, it's uh time for our final thoughts and uh Vanessa go ahead and go first final thoughts okay um my final thought is black on black crime just needs to stop but I think a lot of this stuff unfortunately is going to start with going back old school as to how we used to raise the children I think it would help a little bit I also do believe that even though we do have black on black crime, black people are not bringing guns over here. We're not, we don't have access to that. Um, and it's not rubber bright because we don't have daddies in the household like you just posted or because mothers are out doing whatever. I read what you were saying. 
But I just think that Trump is not making any of this any better by allowing the NRA to have whatever guns they want. I just don't, I just think it's making it worse. Something that's already so bad, so horrible with black on black crime has now turned into white people walking into schools and churches and stores and shooting people because Trump says that it's okay. So I just, I just hope that we can get this man out of office and I hope that people realize that they're going to have to vote for all the elections to get to start with the Congress and the Senate and all of that versus just going to vote next November. That's just my thought. Go vote. I appreciate it. Until you vote. All right. Thank you so much. See you next Sunday. All right. Uh, Johnny D. Man, final thoughts. Jay, just want to uh, once again extend opportunities for benevolence and opportunities to educate uh, just people in general, but particularly this, this generation here. Get out and, 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 and do something uh, to, to make your community safer, make your community bind together and come together. Uh, don't let this criminal in Washington divide and conquer. You know, I'm, I'm still out every day looking for reasons to, to have some optimism. And I see it every day within the community. But I also would be remiss if I didn't say that there are strains on a relationship where people now look at one another a little bit more differently because this guy has influenced and, and, and resonated that thing that's in the bowels of our belly, which is discriminatory, racist uh, behaviors. And, and he has drawn that and manifested that in some. But, again, look at the good in people, but don't be foolish, okay? Uh, as Maya Angelou stated, when they show you who they are, believe it. So I'm not saying to be no falsehood. But lastly is this right here. Um, as, as you prepare and the show prepares for the 10th anniversary, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, of those cold, wintry days uh, going through bomb holder and, and back crushing up <laughs> and everything that got you started, guy. And, you know, you were inspiration back then. You had the radio voice, uh, WMIX, and, and, and just the whole gamut of it. And, and, and to know that that you had to put that labor in before, you know, this particular blessing and, and this purpose was revealed, you know, just goes to just goes to show and speak for your persistence and your dedication and your professionalism to make sure that people are always entertained. But now you've put a scope in there where you want to educate and provide information. And I just think it's a wonderful thing, man. And like I say, uh, my blessings will be with you, blessings with the show, blessings with all the contributors and our listening audience. Uh, but this guy has put the work in, folks. So don't think that, that that 10 years is when he just jumped out there. Jay been doing this for probably uh, a, a decade, 25 years before that. So, again, love you to death, man. Hey, man, I appreciate the kind words as always. And you're right, man. It's just memories, man. It's a beautiful thing. I love you to death, brother. You know there's nothing I won't do for you. Oh, my goodness. All right, the man gets the first and last for here to the one and only Mr. L to the E to the S. Final thoughts. Uh, my final thoughts are get out and vote, folks. If you don't, if you don't want to see what's happening now again, get out and vote. 
and you know to to to, to the people in the chat room, look, you are who you are. You know, if, if I'm calling it like I see it, and if you don't like what I'm saying, you know what you can do. Yeah, sometimes as African Americans, we have to take a look at the man in the mirror. I know that uh, there are a lot of things that contributed to black on black crimes. I know that you know you can't. Uh, ignore the economic impact, the suppression piece of this whole thing. But, you know, also we have to look at ourselves. Uh, to say that African-American kids don't have the ability to go to school and learn, uh, I think that's not a true statement. I think kids have the ability. My kids are in school. My kids go to school. My two oldest daughters are out being successful in life. I have a third daughter that's going to school right now. She's not slinging drugs. She's not doing those types of things. Now, however, we're not in a situation where we're destitute and we don't have any money. But even if we were in a situation like that, I just find it hard-pressed to send my kids return to a life of crime to be able to support them or support their family members. I think that there are problems on both sides of the fence, and we have to acknowledge where their problems are. There are some African-Americans who feel that we shouldn't talk about black-on-black crime because it's like we're going against our own race. But listen... You know, there's no excuse for kids not going to school. There's no excuse for kids hanging out and shooting and killing each other. There's just no excuse for it. And we have to look at this problem through that lens. We have to accept responsibility for the things that we do. But at the same time, we also have to acknowledge the conditions which created the situation and the problems that we're currently dealing with in the African-American community. And on that note, Ms. Deli S. It's Sunday. We're talking serious stuff. What time is it, my friend? It's time for the serious side of the day. Wow. Show. Folks, it's been a pleasure to serve you, and we appreciate you taking time out to spend with us every Sunday. Don't forget to check on, check us out Wednesday, 10th anniversary show. But now it's time to say goodbye. So for Vanessa, for Johnny, and for Mr. Elias and Jerome, I'm Jay Robson. Have a great work week. And remember, Sunday, we're talking serious stuff. It is the serious side. God bless you. We'll see you next week. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network.